Well, I just want to read a couple of scriptures with you tonight. One from the book of Psalms, Psalm 36, and then another from the book of John, and uh, John chapter uh, 7. And the first passage is one that Pastor Barry will be uh, opening up for us uh, tonight. And the second passage is one that explains or helps us understand uh, a certain portion of it tonight. So Psalm 36, starting at verse 7 and reading uh, just uh, three verses there. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your life do we see light. And then John chapter 7, uh, starting at verse 37, just a few verses there. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Our God and Father, we come before you today, and your words are life, and your spirit is the life giver, and Christ has redeemed us from death to life. I pray, Father, that as we circle around some of these themes, as you have been impressing upon Pastor Barry um, some of these practical truths about um, how we thrive in you, I pray that you will anoint his lips. I pray that the fruit of his study will be to our benefit. Give him strength, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. On this first Sunday of the new year, I wish to return us to one of the basic fundamentals of the Christian life, that it is a spirit-filled life, a life that depends daily on the life that God gives to us. I read through the Psalms once or twice a year, regularly, habitually read, through the Psalms, and I get to passages like this, and I, and I often stop, and it talks about the preciousness of the love of God, and then it talks about how that love of God is, is not only precious, it's a feast in God's house that God's people have an abundant supply of, and it is a, is a river of pleasure, of delight, and it is a, a fountain of life, and I, and I stop myself, and I, and I sit in the presence of words like that, and I ask myself, does that describe me? Is that what my life is like? And it's a discipline that I've learned in my own personal life in the last few years that I've taken a more keen interest in. I've always known and believed in and trusted in the work of the Spirit in my own life. But a particular question has been very intriguing for me and for many different reasons. Some of them cynical, some of them not so cynical. But asking the question, what does it really look like? for Christians to be filled with the Spirit? What does it look like for me to be filled with the Spirit, to, to have a, a fountain of life, to be feasting on an abundant supply, to, to know the preciousness of the love of God in such a way that it is a river of delight? What if I asked you that same question? In the circumstances of your life, in the words that you're using, in the relationships that you have, in the decisions that you make, what would it look like for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What, what would it look like for there to be evidence 
that God is indeed giving you a fountain of life? Are you filled with the Spirit? And so it's a very, I believe, fundamental component of discipleship. But we take often, I believe, too much for granted sometimes about how practical we need to get and the things that we need to talk about as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we assume that people know how it works. And so this is just one of those weeks. We're just going to stop and I'm going to deal with a few things and stop and say, how does it work? What does it look like? The main point that I would like to get across is this, is that the experiential work of the Spirit, and it is an experiential work of the Spirit. It is a, it is a fountain of life. The, the Christian life is, is something that, that transcends mere conformity to outward standards. It's something that far surpasses just creedal assent and conformity. It is a deep experiential work of the Spirit in our life, and I believe we saw evidence of it in Tim's life here just a few, a few minutes ago. But it is always connected to the truths of the gospel in Christ. A very, very significant, simple part of discipleship, of what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit. And, and I, I've been around a long time. I've been around the church for a long time. And I've heard a lot of talk, a lot of manifestations, a lot of uh, emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit where Christ seems to be completely eclipsed from it. Where Christ himself says that when the Spirit comes, he shall glorify me. And when the Spirit of God is at work, we know that he's at work if Christ is being glorified. As John said, he's becoming greater and I'm becoming smaller. And God's Spirit constantly, not, not, just at, not just at our rebirth, not just in our regeneration, not just when we enter into the Christian life, but constantly, all through our Christian life, magnifies Christ, aligning us. I love that word. Aligning us with things that are true about God in Christ. Particularly, transforming our perspective on ourselves. And I think these are two critical components of the Christian life. Our perspective of ourself and our perspective of the world around us. And this is by no means a, an extensive or an exhaustive talk on the work of the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to focus on just two simple practical things today. And that is that the work of the Holy Spirit as a fountain of life in us, is to convince us of a new identity, first and foremost. Are you convinced of a new identity? Do you, do you understand what it, what it means to, to live in it and to walk in it and, and understand the fruit of that truth day by day in your, in your life and in your own head and in your relationships? To, to convince us of a new identity and to fill us with a different wisdom, a different wisdom. Not a wisdom of the world, a wisdom, and not a wisdom from ourselves, but a wisdom from God. First of all, identity. There isn't a deeper part of the human soul that sin has ravaged more deeply than our identity. 
It makes so much of our life of answering this question. It's not always consciously on the surface, but it's always subconsciously there of who am I? Who am I? What do I I want other people to think that I am? How do I make and try to convince other people of who I wish I was and want to be and think I am? And how is it that I become what I am? it's, It's something that gets to the very core of of who we are. A fountain of life. A river of pleasure. Something that heals us. I find it tragically ironic that Christian people, including myself, are often capable of being the most insecure people in the world. I mean, we're wrecked sometimes. All our religion seems to do sometimes is give us more to live up to more expectations on, on how we should be and, 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 and concerned about am I, am I fitting in, am I, am I living the, to the right standards and, and we become masters at cover stories while hiding our real selves. And as I say, I, th- I think it's a tragic irony. But it's true in a lot of Christian experience. There's a superficial and an external desire to be something that they wish they could be. Here's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit looks like this. To experience the love of God sealed to us in a new and a gracious identity. A new and a gracious identity that is, that is, is given to us, it's sealed to us. And that identity is, is not in any way rooted in our performance. It's not rooted in, in our perfections, but only ever given to us in the grace of God. It is a fountain of life to us. To have the Spirit constantly be a witness of the love of God for us in Christ. And that we are his child if we trust in him, believe in him, have faith in him, that he has made a way for us by the Spirit to call God our Father. Romans 8 makes very, very clear that we, by the Spirit, call God our Father. And that's that's not a superficial thing. It's not just something that, that we embrace as, as something, well, yeah, that's true of, we, of me when I, when I become a Christian. It's something that, that is applied and needed and worked into the very depth of our being as we begin to work our way through this world and dealing with all of the different ways that we, that, that we can transfer our identity onto other things, including some very good Christian things. Ephesians 1, 13 Paul says this, that after, he says that the Spirit is given as a seal. It's a seal, like I don't know how you would know the word seal, like a stamp, maybe you do canning, something that, that's, that's sealed, it's, it's closed, it's, it's, it's not going to change. And after, in Ephesians 1, where Paul describes all of the wondrous purposes that are in God for us, he says this, he says that the Spirit is given to us as a seal. To seal those truths to us. Well, so what? So what? Well, it affects our relationships. Ever have trouble with intimacy? (laughs) At the core of our intimacy problems are the challenge that we have to try to defend 
or maintain and keep a particular identity. And we'll never have lasting intimacy unless we can find uh, an identity that never changes and isn't based on acceptance with the people that we're in relationship with. We're free to be who we are because we are made to be a child of God in the eyes of God. And we need sustained relationships of intimacy in the church between husbands and wives, between brothers and sisters, between friends, between parents and children, between brothers and sisters in Christ between family members. It's a mark, it's a witness of the work of the Spirit in our lives. You don't have to be beautiful. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be whatever you think it is the other person needs for them to accept you. It's great if you have all of those things, but if we, if we transfer our identity onto those things, then they become an idol. They become a Christ replacement. And there's something greater in our heart than our Lord. And it gets very, 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 very practical when we consider that little tongue that moves around, that little muscle, I should say, that moves around in our mouth, our tongue. You have trouble with your tongue? Ever say something that, that, uh, that you wish you hadn't? Ever say something really silly that, that hurt somebody or wasn't true about yourself? See, to, to not use our tongue in those ways, to lie or to gossip or to use sarcasm or to boast, not simply lawful rules in our life where we say, okay, I'm not going to talk that way anymore. I'm not, that's wrong. I know that's wrong. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to try and stop it. But those are all things that live downstream of our insecurity. And it's by the Spirit sealing our identity to us that we are healed of so much destructive behavior. It's not sensational. <laughs> it's not dramatic. But it's talking about healing in the, the deepest part of our lives where we most need to bear the fruit of God in our lives, not in, for public display. You know, I can't emphasize enough how much we need religion like this. Let me tell you why. I believe we live in a day where one of the greatest challenges and one of the greatest needs that we have as a generation of Christians living in this area is to somehow prayerfully seek God that there could be a restoration of trust between the people of God and the world around us. There is a tremendous lack of trust in the Christian community, in the world in which we live. They're friendly to us often. They might go to our events once in a while, but down inside, down deep, they don't trust our religion. And we need to bear the proper fruits. We need, we need the fountain of life that shows forth the true love of God in us and how that it affects our relationships in such simple and practical ways. 
if we try to create identities and protect them, it's, it's a road going nowhere. You're loved by God. You are his child. Nothing can ever change that. Nothing can ever take that away from you. And we should marvel at the love of God for us. Secondly, wisdom. The other part of our human experience that is so ravaged by sin is the presence of foolishness in our lives. <clears throat> I'm foolish a lot. I've probably been foolish in the last hour or so. And I desperately need a different wisdom. Questions of how are we to make our way in this world? What, is it, what does it look like to live as a Christian? What is profitable? What are profitable things to do in this world? What are, the, what are the right uses of our resources? How should I live? All of these things that are, are, are things that aren't just rules and, and commandments, but uh, an imparted wisdom that comes from the Spirit of God when he's a fountain of life to us, showing us the preciousness of the love of God. Here's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. To experience the knowledge of God in, in all of its fullness in Christ. Filling our hearts and minds. The knowledge of God. You want wisdom? The proverb says, what is the beginning of wisdom? The knowledge of God. You want wisdom? Seek the knowledge of God. You know, there are oftentimes I... I, I see it in myself and I see it in other people around there. They're, they're, they're searching for and they're looking for particular aspects in the Christian experience and the Christian life. And, and we forget that all of those things are fruit of the core of finding God. And it is that way with wisdom also. The spirit-filled life finds godly paths in all things, not because of, of law, not because of some legalistic um, commandment, but because of glory. Because of glory, because of a, of a, of a, a surrender, a, a, um, a, a willful giving over of one's heart and soul to something that has captured it. Not coming under the rule of an institution, but coming under the light of glory. It's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. The Apostle Paul prays this. He prays for the Ephesians that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. It's remarkable how Paul prays for this church. It's one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. He prays for them that, that this work of the spirit, the work of the spirit in, in their inner being, he says, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, you can't short circuit to exhortation without proclamation. What I mean by exhortation is the normal things that you expect to hear when you come to church. This is what we should do. This is what it looks like to... to <clears throat> To, to, to live a Christian life. The things that we encourage people to live by. But you can't short-circuit that. 
Because those things all flow from and come from the proclamation of the greatness of God to us and what he's done for us. My favorite example of that is the children of Israel in Egypt where God didn't come to them and transport them out into the wilderness and say, here's my law, now this is what I want you to live. This is what I, I want you to do. God came into Egypt and he brought his own presence down and he manifested himself to them in all the wondrous works of his power and his deity and the fullness of his being over Pharaoh. And then, and only then, he takes them into the wilderness and says, I have demonstrated to you all that you need to see and know in order to be faithful to me. And we know what happened. And that's why we're going to eat about a, a better covenant. With the work of the Spirit brought to us by our Lord's body. But you can't bypass that. You can't short circuit it. Well, so what? What difference does it make if the Spirit fills us with the knowledge of God? Well, wisdom enters our hearts. <laughs> That's what happens. There, there's something that, that becomes intuitive as we begin to be aligned with the things that are capturing our heart. Let me give you three just simple examples. The holiness of God. To be filled with the Spirit means to have an idea of the holiness of God. And for it not to just be a creed or a doctrine, but for it to be an actual wellspring of life that gives us wisdom in how to live in this world. The holiness of God is made most real in all of the scriptures at the cross of Christ, where, where sin demanded the price of God's own son. And when we see that, when we come to the cross and we understand what was accomplished at the cross and what the holiness of God required and, and demanded on, on, on Jesus, then it will completely change and give us wisdom in how to see and understand every temptation to sin that we will ever face. It's not just a, a, a willful exertion. I think I can, I think I can. It's an understanding that, that all the things that we are, are tempted to are the very same things that our Lord bore the pain of in his body. They bruised our Lord for these very same things. He suffered the punishment of our iniquity. The treasures of God's grace, the riches of God's grace, to be filled with the Spirit, a fountain of life is, a, is, is the abundant enrichment that God gives to us in Christ. You feel rich? You know, it, discontentment is an awful thing. Discontentment drives us to idols. It, it drives us to hoarding. It, it drives us to all kinds of different things. But when we have a sense of enrichment... And the treasures of God are, are opened up to us in the, the vast work of God for us in Christ. It completely changes very practical things like the way that we handle the things of this world. What is it that I must have to be happy? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Craigslist addict. I, <laughs> I, know what that's, I know what that's all about. I know, how to, I know how to get into Craigslist and open really fast for sale by owner. <laughs> It's a spiritual battle in my own life and in every person's life. What, what, does it, what does it look like to have a fountain of life and to live with modesty 
abstaining from conspicuous consumption and conspicuous wealth, and to live generously, giving away what we have in order to share with other people and be a blessing to them. There's nothing I love more than giving things away. <laughs> As a pastor, I get to give lots of other people's things away, which is great. But my dad taught me the gift of generosity. It's something that I'm ever grateful to him for. The power of God. If you have a sense of the great power of God, and what God has accomplished in Christ, and in not just sending of a person to earth, but sending of a person who would gather unto himself and under him, in submission to him, all things in heaven and on earth, including the resurrection of the very dead, changes everything. Are you convinced of the resurrection of the dead? I've had to be convinced many times, actually. But I say today, I am. I am absolutely convinced that, it, it, that, that Jesus will come and he will raise the dead. It's incredible to think about, but it, it, changes, it changes so much in our life about how we make our way in this world and it gives us so much wisdom about how to approach stuff that disappoints us, that hurts us, that makes us cry, that makes us sorrow, that makes us suffer affliction in Jesus' name, even sometimes. In this world, my personal belief is that we will never completely live without some of the symptoms of insecurity and foolishness in our lives. But there's a wellspring. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a banquet. You know, the, the Christian life isn't about stockpiling in a pantry. It's about eating every day. And these diseases that we so desperately need healing from is exactly what the scripture talks about Christ coming to earth to do, that he bore our iniquities and heals our diseases in Isaiah 53. So as I invite you to the table this evening, eat and drink and remember that this is the sacrifice of the Lord that brings such healing. You are a child of God. Nothing can ever change that. You, you belong to him. You are owned by him. And in this meal is represented the fullest manifestation of the knowledge of God that God has ever given. Look to it. Understand it. See what God has demonstrated in it. And it will give you wisdom for living as well in the work of his Holy Spirit. It's also the sacrifice that made a way for the Spirit. As Paul read earlier from John chapter 7 that spoke of the Spirit at the feast, but the Spirit had not yet been given. He had not yet died. He had not yet accomplished all that was necessary for a new covenant. So as you eat, understand that you're eating the blessings of a new covenant that gives us the boldness to say, Lord, give me your Spirit. Proverbs 9 says this, whoever is simple, these are the words of wisdom crying out, whoever is simple 
Let him turn in here. Turn. If you're simple, turn in here. Turn into this table. To him who lacks sense, wisdom says, come and eat my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed and leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of light. Amen. Praise the Lord for his glorious grace in our lives. And I pray that in the year to come that there would be evidences, growing and increasing evidences of the work of God's Spirit uh, at work deeply and profoundly in our lives, in our homes, in our marriages, in our friendships, that would bear the marks of a religion that is beautiful, attractive, winsome, desirable, 